Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 22nd of July 2019. Harvest is upon us. Today you will hear in the background several noises of vehicles coming over the Weybridge uh, at our Aylsham site, so um, you'll just have to put up with that. It's it's, uh, great. I love it. We're filling our store up as quick as we can. Let's start with some general market chat. Observations about the the malting barley crop. Obviously, we're in the part of the world that produces the goods without trying too hard. So our average nitrogen of the first 4,500 tonnes over our various weighbridges at this moment in time uh, bearing in mind our two key intake varieties, our flagon and craft, is 1.58 across every single delivery. As I say, we've had in over 4,500 tonnes, which, bearing in mind several other intake places haven't opened yet, I find that uh, quite pleasing. And the one thing that farmers look for or need on winter malting barley is movement so they can then put the next crop in the shed. And the difference in price between contracts can be minimal, can be a pound or two different, but the, if the movement date is a week... 10 days, 2 weeks, 3 weeks, 5 weeks, goodness knows how many other weeks people hold farmers up, uh, that is the real issue that really costs money. And, and many times in previous years, not moving winter barley means that spring barley stands in the field and goes off and the premium gets lost. So we focus very hard on getting it into store. So that's what we're doing. I would say that the price is going to be happily sticking a neutral kind of mid 130s x farm for harvest movement i don't see it going down much at the moment it's being underpinned by a weak pound and a feed barley price that's kind of holding up so if there's anything borderline quality wise there isn't any claims that can be taken particularly and people will just kick it into touch and call it feed so i I think the, the price will remain reasonably neutral there may be some harvest pressure and there may be some pressure on one or two people who are not getting their grain moved as we previously talked about so on to prices, Malting Barley 135x or 140 delivered store for immediate movement. I've mentioned feed barley 120x to meet boats. There's uh, several cargoes of feed barley been sold from all over East Anglia and there's a programme of them. So I think feed barley will be piling out of the ports as we lead up towards Brexit. That's great news and hopefully we can get some more out. The more we get out of the country, as I've said previously, the more we have a chance of the price holding up. With the current uh, political climate and the weak pound, I think the price will maintain its strength because I think I don't see currency recovering with what we've got ahead of us in the short term. Obviously, in 20 years' time, we'll all feel different. Oilseed rape, we've got a sample of it in and the oil was low. So I I don't, uh, one swallow doesn't make a summer. Um, I think we'll know more next week. It's too early to call it. We've had an anecdotal call or two saying the yields are slightly better than people had feared. But yeah, we'll wait till next week to talk in depth about that one. The market on that one also with currency's weakness remains firm. I haven't checked with Webby what the price is actually. So I will make it up and say 315 I could be wrong, I could be right, (laughs) but we'll live with that one this week, chaps, because no one's going to sell it until they've got it, I don't think. 
And wheat, well, we are three weeks away from the first samples, I think, in Norfolk, and four to five weeks away from the main thrust. Basing this on, on studying the previous first day of intake into Aylsham over a 24-year period, the 16th of July dictates that we will take our first feed wheat delivery into Aylsham on the 6th of August. So if that rings true, the main thrust of harvest will be eight days after that. It does indicate, as we've said for a while, that the harvest is going to be more normal time, if you like, or, or slightly later than we've been used to recently. That might make something interesting for about six minutes on the, on the 7th of August. So current value for feed wheat, 139x for November. It's just slipped below the magic 140 mark. No one seems to have noticed or no one seems to care. So if you need to move wheat at harvest time, there's going to be plenty of willing buyers. We've got stores to fill. There aren't many boats sold at the moment or cargoes. Um, hopefully, with the currency situation as it is, there will be a few boats going and create a bit of a movement. I am concerned or I am expecting this harvest to be slightly damper on the wheat crop because of its slightly later start. Especially for you know Norfolk coastal wheats, I think that it never gets dry when it's a September cut because the day's never long enough and the sea mist comes in. So I, th- I think... We'll be using our dryer for a change and there'll be a whole bucket load of whinging from farmers who don't own dryers. But hey, they've sat there for for three years not being used, so maybe we'll get some money back for them this time. So, yep, we're expecting decent yields. Barley's certainly okay to good, variable to good on the the malting barleys and feed barleys are coming in reported pretty above budget. I'm expecting wheats to be much the same. Not necessarily a barn buster, actually. There's a few few edges taken off the yield with some septoria creeping into some of the late crops. But I do think it will be a reasonably happy bunch of farmers from the, from the yield perspective. Thank you for listening and then have a lovely harvesting week. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Harvest 2019 is here. Give your grain a better chance of making the grade. Dewing grain for immediate movement and fair treatment. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This morning I've got with me my, my voice coach, Mr Robert Brown. Uh, good morning, Andrew. And Webby's also here to ask some intelligent questions about pulses in a minute or two. Morning. Right. I say he's my voice coach because uh, he has the most chocolatey velvet voice. He's got the voice for, well, commentating everything. I've always, always aspired to be one below you, Andrew, on the <laughs> chocolatey and the hazelnutty. Well, you, you're my. You, if, if you have body doubles in acting, you can you can come and do my speaking because I've got. I'll get so many more listeners. I'm expecting a, a peak in female listeners when you say hello, <laughs> hello, hello, everybody. I've uh, I've just got to perfect a little bit more Norfolk in the voice, haven't I? Right. Yeah. So, who do you work for? I work for a company called Peter's Commodities. Right. And what do you do? I buy and sell and trade predominantly pulses peas beans lentils chickpeas and all sorts of things that are traded across the world okay and when listening to one of my previous podcasts what was the beans i didn't know the name of i was listening avidly to your podcast somebody mentioned faba beans and you said faba beans what are they (laughs) faba beans are vicia faba in the olden days there were two sorts and i'm talking about the olden days the 60s there was vicia faba minor which was your very small tick bean, and Vicia Faba Major, which was your big old hoss bean. Hoss bean? Hoss bean. As in hoss. And uh, to feed for hosses. 
As opposed to a horse. As opposed to a horse, yeah. <laughs> in Norfolk, yeah. See, so there's you not Norfolk enough. No, I wasn't Norfolk enough. And, right. uh, and breeding and breeding and breeding has brought us to where we are with spring beans and okay. winter beans, which are all this year. So they are originally fava beans. Fava beans. Or fava beans, depending where you come from. And What's the difference in the two you just said there? One's got a B and one's got a V. So which is correct? Uh, it depends which language you're speaking in. Uh, Norfolk. Norfolk, they're fava beans, mate. B. No, that's Cambridgeshire into Fava beans, mate. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's F A B. F A B A. F A B. F A V. And Norfolk, it's a B. So, Rob, we've um, had a great training relationship over the years. Beans. A lot of our Norfolk farmers grow them, but I think there's a bit of smoke and mirrors sometimes that understanding. I mean, most growers know what happens to their feed. We, it goes to consumer, goes into the animal feed sector. But beans, where, did, where do beans go? Give us the story. Well, if you've got um, really good quality human consumption beans, which can which, be grown beautifully... Which Norfolk love to produce and <laughs> provide you with. Absolutely. And the climate in Norfolk that we, we've had, particularly on that North Norfolk coast, has allowed um, some really good quality beans. The things that affect the quality largely, apart from the size and the colour and the variety, is, is the levels of brucid beetle. And brucid beetle is the bane of our lives. It's been a killer the last two years. It has it's been, been a killer, and it's been moving north, and the incidence and, and the levels of infestation have risen year and year as the chemicals that we, we've got to control them have been phased out or disallowed now and also as the climate or the last few summers have got warmer and warmer and warmer and warmer. So where do they go? Well providing we've found a sample of beans that we like to buy we will take them into our plant at Ellingham and we will get out I don't want to use the word turd polish because <laughs> we ran out of that last year but we will clean them and separate them, needle them uh, colour sort them and put Put them into bags or boxes and export them to the Middle East. It comes in, we grade it as fast as we can, and it goes out in containers. And then it is shipped to Cairo, Damietta, Dubai, wherever it's going. The biggest consumer of beans uh, in the world, of fava beans in the world, is Egypt. And Egypt roughly will use 1,500 tonnes of beans a day. I don't know whether you know, but there's two things that they do with beans in Egypt. They're a staple food. The biggest thing is their breakfast bean, which is called full madamas, and that will keep them going all day, just like you and your porridge or your cornflakes, right? Or a bacon sarnie. Or a bacon sarnie, right? (laughs) And then there's the one-step market on, where you have the processed bean, which is where you take the skins off it, because the skins are very fibrous, full of tannins, and and aren't very nice to eat. And uh, you then soak that product, or grind it, and, uh, and then mix it with grated onion, any spices you want, chilli, roll it into a ball, fry it in olive oil and call you're it a falafel. I've got to say, you're not winning me over with that. I'm not sure that's <laughs> going to hit my... Uh... Well, I, I, I'm not a chef, but I can assure you that uh, there are falafel festivals in the UK and there were people that will show you how good a falafel is in okay. relation to a veggie burger. And, uh, and they are very nice. I've got to say, actually, one of our farmers several years ago, I think, had this story repeated from himself, and he decided to make a load of falafel burgers, and they sat in the freezer for a long time, and I ran to his son, I said, how do you get on with those falafel burgers? And he just looked at me with that look of, like, why did someone ever mention that to my father? <laughs> <laughs> What's your reckoning on the crop that's in the ground, then? Are you, uh, well, are you the excited? Crop this year has got yeah. to be so much better than last year. Last year was an unmitigated disaster financially for for, for yeah. every farmer that you, grew beans. You talked about polishing turds, and that was very generous because it, it was it wasn't, worse. It wasn't it. only that, because my first contract crop of beans came off spring beans on the 27th of July, a full six weeks earlier than it should have been, and uh, 19.38 tonnes off 35 acres. 
Ouch. Yeah. And I thought, we, we're going to struggle this year. Mm. But last year was, was a perfect storm that's never going to be repeated as way well. mm. I can see it. We had mm. massive heat in the UK. We had appalling mm. yields. But also in the competing countries that we had, uh, that we compete with, mm. uh, French, but that's going out, German, mm. Lithuanian, Latvian, Estonian, who, would, who have been growing more and more beans since the FA. And also Australia having very hot time. You know, when you're talking about Egypt needing 1,500 tonnes a day, Northern Hemisphere just didn't have it. Yeah. And the prices went up and up and up and up. And the, the quality requirements went down and down and down and down. Mm. And the prices went up too high in Egypt. The quality got too low. And we've gone basically to demand destruction out there. Mm. And they're learning that the northern uh, countries north of the Mediterranean make their falafel out of chickpeas. Okay. Uh, the world price of chickpeas is very, very low at the moment. And these guys don't want to pay last year's prices for, for this year's faba bean crop. Mm. So are you optimistic you're looking forward to a crop that might be good i think it is but i think from the farmer's point of view it's got to be yield you know if a farmer can grow five tons a hectare of beans he's got a profitable crop Mm. but if he's got two and a half tons a hectare of beans he hasn't got a profitable crop Mm. and uh, i'm optimistic that we can pay them a sensible price for sensible quality it really is down to that yield and that quality. Mm. Do I mean we have this debate in the office about what do farmers grow and and rotationally for these guys? Or it's a bloody difficult decision. I mean, what crop do you grow? What crop do you drop? Beans, it's got to be a replacement. Surely the bean acreage gets larger, doesn't it? Oh, the it? bean acreage is definitely larger. Some people are reporting that their winter bean sales so far are 400% up on last year. Um, largely okay. is a reflection of, of cabbage stem flea beetle, um, yeah. need of a, of a more extensive rotation because of black grass, yada, 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 yeah, yada. Yeah. Beans have got to come in there. But yeah. unfortunately, since EFA came in and, it, and, and forced that acreage of beans probably to nearly 200,000 hectares, which it was four years ago, you know, the premiums for, for beans over feed wheat went down to the level where a farmer was saying, I'm sorry, beans don't work for me. But the compound was saying, oh, these beans are good, they're ever so cheap, they work for me. I'll, I'll just step in here. I, I, I think that uh, obviously Aussie rapes in demise and, and the desperation for rotational answers, beans inevitably are going to go up. Is, yeah. is there going to be growth in protein usage of beans in the UK? Is it, are we well, going to well, find... I mean, absolutely. Everyone is... is doing their best to try and increase the levels of of vegetable protein in everything they're doing and trying to reduce the food miles of of stuff that's coming in. And and we could use a lot more in this country. We're talking about beans specifically, but, you know, there's huge talk about these uh, meat replacement burgers at the moment. Yeah, no, well, and and falafel might not be popular in that farmer's fridge, but it is a very popular food that's growing in, in use in the UK, isn't it? It's protein yes, it is, source yeah. for, for vegans. Yeah. But unfortunately, like the, the, the stuff that we're making the falafel out of at the moment has got gazillion food miles. Um, really? It's not as so you can't use your own beans to do that? Well, you can, yes, but it's made largely out of chickpeas. But the chickpeas is, is a totally different market to beans, and we've got to move people over. Whether that market is significant to take up enough I beans... I haven't heard that argument from the well, vegan crew about the falafel they're eating, which is supposed to be saving the planet in fact is traveling oh it's got gazillions gazillions you know they're canadian they're turkish they're australian um, they're growing a few oh, more I mean. in france now as, as they can't grow faba beans because of the brucey beetle but the world price of, of chickpeas has probably produced by 60 percent in the last four years there's there's a, a small counter argument
argument for the vegan loving meat hating person when you're a dairy farmer you can just say well by the way you know what do you eat yeah and they can say falafel say oh, that's chickpeas that's coming from australia has it well and they won't know will they they, don't France, they can only criticize can't they as yes. one of my pets yes I'm conscious that, you know, you as a trader are working for Peter's Commodities. Mm. You, you work on your own down at Ellingham. Yep. So you, you, it's, it's a small merchant, and we obviously are very keen on them surviving. Yeah. We do, well, we do fight above our weight. Well, <laughs> so, so do we. Yeah. Um, you know, that we could easily be squeezed out. The big guys are in control. I mean, processing units, I understand one or two of the bigger guys are, are investing in plants. Yeah. Is that going to just squeeze the margins and squeeze you out? Well, obviously, you would predict that's going to have that effect. And as those guys chase bigger and bigger, bigger volume, um, Peter's Commodities is where it is today because we have that relationship with our customers that we've worked on for a very, very long time. And uh, so long as we continue to look after our customers, we hopefully will be able to still exist in a market which becomes increasingly competitive as as people cut their cleaning rates and they cut their... um, One of the big issues in your industry is the the liquidity, isn't it? I mean, it's not like Fiwi, is it? Talk me through that. Absolutely not. There's no futures uh, hedge for feed beans. Um, the only hedge for feed beans or human consumption beans is if you've sold them, is you've got to buy them back again. And you're also talking about a product for certain types. That, you know, there's probably only a 5,000 ton market for it. And if there's 7,000 tons of produce for that 5,000 ton market, you know, people will force the price down and down and down and still not sell another ton. Likewise, you've got other, other products that are, that are much more liquid where people will will suddenly say, your prices are too expensive, I'm going to substitute it with another. So that's the difficult thing. And you've also got to be aware that in a market which is not as regulated as UK law, when you've got stuff bought really, really cheap and sold really, really cheap for whatever happens in the world and the price suddenly goes up, you've got to make sure that the person that sold it to you honours his contract. Likewise, when you've got a very, very expensive product and the price suddenly goes down, you've got to make sure your customer honours his contract. That's, I mean, that, that it, in the UK, contract to contract, yeah. and no matter how much farmers hate default, the reality is supply has to be supplied. We have a set of rules that determine or, or, or guarantee the contract is exercised yeah. and if there's a financial loss it is paid yeah. um, whereas you know some other parts of the world don't have that same uh, no, they don't. rule no they don't you know if, they, if they've bought 2,000 tons of product and I'm speaking in general here yeah. uh, and oversimplifying it and the market drops $50 a ton they have lost a staggering amount of money by honouring that contract. So they don't. I mean, I, I I'm don't, not saying I'm not saying they don't. Depends who you're I'm, dealing I'm with. I'm we, sure you have a set of customers yeah, who are yeah. very, very good and loyal to you. Well, we do our very best to make sure that we we deal with people we yeah. we trust. You're dealing with the right people. Yeah. Or you've got some good constant yeah. contacts. Yeah. Uh, good contact and 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 to try and keep those. Um, supply chains as short as you possibly can because there's one of procurement and there's one of logistics, of course. Yeah, that's this end but, of but this side of the But if you're constantly trading through a broker who's looking to make money, who's selling it on to somebody else, who's speculating, looking to make money, who's selling it on to somebody else who has a position yeah. on it, by the time your goods actually get into the market and the market has moved, there could well be... Listen, we, we, we we, the, the only way us little guys are going to survive is by having relationships with with someone who specifically wants a product, yeah. and they recognise bespoke, honourable treatment, and, yeah. and and the best the best growers. Absolutely, we, we know the best growers. Yeah, and if they come every year with the best sample, there is no way you will ever try and buy it off them cheaply because you oh, lose. No, 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 absolutely, because you really do respect that relationship, and you want them to keep 
being in the market and not feel like they've ever been diddled. Yeah. You've got to leave everybody in, in the chain with a margin, otherwise they won't be there for long. No, absolutely, and they won't yeah. be growing beans. You mentioned um, before the mics were on, I think, you, you said t- a tip for farmers, don't wait for the demand to go. Is that what well, did you mean this, by Well, this is the problem with markets, and also with pulse markets particularly, is that you've got a year of, of shortage, and this is what happened with chickpeas a few years ago when, when India had a failed monsoon. All of a sudden, they needed to import 6 million tonnes of pulses, right? And so the world and, and his wife went out and drilled chickpeas because they were so high priced. And everyone was experimenting with fava beans because fava beans were so much cheaper than chickpeas. All of a sudden, no failed monsoon in India. Two years running, they start putting on import duties overnight, just like that. All of a sudden, massive surplus of chickpeas, and the market is down. Yeah. But you're going, you're talking about a, a long time between me entering into a contract with, with you, Andrew. Mm. And you actually probably delivering the goods, yeah. And that's that's the risk. Yeah, it's it's hairier market than we're used to trading because we have that hedge available all yeah. the time. And, but you, and you've got to be confident that you understand that the market you're trading with, and, and Peter's commodities have been for uh, around for a long time. We're going to move on to the beer bit in a moment. I, think I went out. Um, last night with one of the directors of Doing Grain to discuss the world and we didn't discuss anything to do with grain whatsoever and got home at midnight so I'm not really looking forward to the rubbish beer that Susie's brought along with her today. Susie's now opening an absolutely huge 72 pint keg. (laughs) (laughs) Expertly poured. So hair of the dog. So we are drinking the Wild Beer and Co. It's called Pogo. Um, Trendy can. It's pale ale passion fruit, orange, and guava. I'm on Hair of the Dog as well. I had a bit of a session last night, so I'm not overly keen. Yeah, I think that's enough of that. Yeah, it kind of... Uh, having, having said that, I'm going to have another one, just because... <laughs> just uh, yeah, I'll see us through the day, hey, Ian. I did have, a mint, uh, I did have a mint earlier, so it's, that it's, may have... It's okay, because my tongue tastes like an Aborigine's armpit on a bad, dry day. It's pretty fruity. It tastes that my refined palate can definitely taste well, passion it, it, fruit. It sounded absolutely disgusting. Um, and uh, Andrew's just finished his and pouring oh, himself another pint. We've tried worse. That's okay. That is okay. Yeah, I, I noticed the guava in there. It's quite strong, isn't it? So, Robert, not that we're non-believers, technical analysis. We had a very funny story, so we're chatting to a colleague of ours. You know where this is going, don't you? I can tell yeah, by I the do, look yeah. on your face. Yeah, yeah. So, a colleague of ours who you worked with fondly a few years back and have a, a very childish relationship between the two of you. Quite competitive and very funny. So you were going to do a presentation on technical analysis and you'd written um, or drawn loads of lines, support, resistance, blah, blah, blah. You left the room and Ollie, our colleague, whilst you're out of the room, drew a line on your chart. That's... I'm right. I'm going to I'm going to categorically deny it. He's he's dreamt up this story. <laughs> he uh, Oliver hasn't really grasped charting. I think it's slightly no. outside his intellectual scale. Uh, yeah, and, um, we had to do charting. We were sent on charting courses. And um, I, I got to say, I, I jokingly said we're non-believers, but we are believers because yeah. we 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 do look at charts yeah. and 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 you and I we have the odd charting chat, and it's it's interesting. You can't um, not use them now, can you? You can't not use them, and at the time. I was marketing all allied grains, pool grain, and was having to do presentations in front of farmers where you have to have this crystal ball and you're expected to know what the market is going to do. And if you don't know what the market's going to do, why are they paying you that sort of money? And uh, so we had to use every tool to not not to confound the farmer, or to, but just to illustrate what we were doing. And, and Oliver, as you know, is an incredibly mischievous... <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, fellow non, non-believer of charts. <laughs> I, I, I would say that the it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Charts. Yeah. You know, if twenty-five percent of the trading has a chart relationship to it, then inevitably, when a line is pierced or or the yeah. market holds below it or whatever, there's twenty-five percent of the world going my that's broken that line, we're going to sell it or we're going to buy it. Well, because you can trade charts without knowing anything about exactly. the commodity at all. So therefore, if that exists, you have to consider that as, as, a, as, as an But whether there's a head and shoulders pattern or a double bottom and the, these, these algorithms that are being developed now to trade the headlines and read the chart mm. and just ping in that volume, you're absolutely right, Andrew. And you've got to be prepared for market moves so we've, we've, based on, on those... For years, we have been drawing lines. I mean, Ben joked about my drawing lines. Every single chart on our screen has a line on it that yeah. I've drawn on it. Many, many lines. Uh, yeah. To see one. <laughs> right, almost, almost as many lines as my forehead. Like a spider's web. Things getting broken makes me look at it. Absolutely. If nothing's being broken, it's staying within a triangle yeah. of, of lines. The trend is your friend. Yeah, you sit mm. there and you go, I'm, I'm comfy with that. But if it's pressing a button one way or the other, up or down, yeah. I, I truly believe in charts in the sense that if it's a trigger point yeah. and you've got that line drawn on your chart yeah. and it does trigger something, you've spotted it the minute it's being triggered. Yeah, but the algorithm would have spotted it before you. Yeah, and you'd try and sell it at the price and somebody's already swamped the market. I'm sure. Particularly with Chicago corn and things but, like that. But you're still at a point where you're going, right, I've been expecting that. I mean, yeah. I'm looking, I've been looking at that. I might prepare myself for that. I'm expecting it through my old-fashioned gut instinct yeah. or whatever, you know, information you've dragged in. This looks like it's going up. It looks like it's going to get to a line. If it hits that, those ingredients are in the right place for this thing to kick off. Yeah. And you know that the algorithms are going to kick in. Mm. You can position yourself before that. That's what I'm saying. I, we do look at charts, yes. and we do uh, sometimes look for confirmation before we join in. But quite yeah. often, when it when it breaks the line yeah. and it goes for it, there is but plenty. It's got, to, it's of got to money break the line and close above it, or below it, or, or below it. Yeah, to, to, to actually and say that it's done it. Absolutely, but yeah. but if it does it and it makes a step, and you've just lost the first three pounds of it, yeah. That doesn't mean to say, despite your oldness and slowness, yeah. that you can't actually gain the benefit of that market. Movement. Absolutely. But you are taking sometimes a speculative risk when perhaps you shouldn't be. We're going to wind up now. So oh, we'll, yeah. We're, yeah, we're, we're going to get well. So, so <laughs> despite our, our age, yes, we, we can use charts. We can use charts, yes. And if ever we get in any trouble, right, yeah. we, can, we can do Barry White impressions. I've got to say, Robert, I don't want to sort of pump your tires up here a bit, but the women love it when you come on. And I'm sure they're utterly charmed by your presence as well as your voice. And yours, Andrew, I'm, I'm sure. Oh, that goes without saying. But my, I'm expecting, as I said, a peak in female listeners following this week's podcast. Thank you. Thank you for coming along. Excellent. Robert Brown for the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Dewing Grain Podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 